The year is 1955, uh, 5th of November to be more exact, and the painter, the French painter Maurice Utrillo, uh, just passed away. Now, if, you might say if I would have uh, pronounced it uh, Utrillo or uh, maybe Utrillo, you might have recognized him, but uh, Utrillo is the right way to pronounce it since it is a Spanish name. So Maurice Utrillo passed, uh, just passed away, and um, what does it have to do with uh, the subject of today? Uh, and by the way, the subject of today's presentation is alcohol dependence. Well, if you look into uh, his paintings, you will see that um, uh, mostly they depict uh, just cityscapes of uh, Paris, uh, more specifically Montmartre, where he was born and uh, where he spent most of the time. And uh, you will see in there uh, the depiction of restaurants, uh, at least one uh, in each painting, or uh, an um, outlet for um, uh, the sale of alcohol. Uh, you are not going to uh, look for something that looks like United States, uh, like in the United States, but uh, you will see the business sign outside uh, saying vin. Vin is uh, spelled V-I-N-S and means wine or uh, wines, wines for sale. So uh, Utrillo uh, is uh, a um, typical uh, French painter. If there is any cliché about uh, French painters, I am sure that Utrillo uh, can uh, kind of uh, hits every mark of it. He was uh, born to Suzanne Valadon, a uh, model. Of course, model has another meaning. Uh, it had another meaning then than it has now. Uh, this uh, woman wished to be a model for the painters, impressionistic painters of that time. Uh, and uh, who was the father? It's kind of unknown. It may have been Degas or Renoir, or maybe it was the father who actually um, signed the birth certificate, and this was Miguel Utrillo, and uh, also a painter of... Uh, he was a Spanish painter, but living in, uh, in uh, Paris, but of lesser importance than Renoir and Degas. Um, by the way, um, uh, there was a uh, uh, common uh, joke circulating about Utrillo. When uh, he was born, uh, Suzanne Valadon went with the uh, baby Maurice first to Degas and uh, told him, this is your baby. Degas took a look and he said, no, no, it cannot be my baby. Uh, it doesn't have the right color. He went to Degas, uh, sorry, he went to Renoir. Uh, and uh, Renoir says, no, 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 it cannot be my baby. It's not the right shape. Finally, he went to Miguel Utrillo, who said, oh, I will always put my signature on any Degas or Renoir. So he signed the certificate. But anyway, it was, uh, of course, just a joke. Uh, so, um, Utrillo, uh, mentally ill, for first admission in psychiatry, in psychiatric unit, uh, was uh, a 21 year of age, and uh, many of them followed. At that time, he attacked his mother, and he ended up and uh, uh, ended up in the so-called insane asylum. Uh, addicted to alcohol all his life, he uh, had numerous admissions in what people called at that time rehabs in in France, but to no avail. He practically drank until uh, his death. Now, um, is uh, Utrillo typical for uh, an uh, alcohol-dependent person? Uh, it is and it isn't. Um, it is not uh, through the fact that he created something of value, something that people appreciate. By the way, his paintings sell nowadays uh, uh, very seldom under half a million dollars. 
uh, and um, is not characteristic because he died at 71. Usually alcohol uh, kills you uh, much sooner than that. But um, otherwise, it's a typical story in the sense that uh, uh, he started in his uh, late teenage years. Uh, he became addic addicted to alcohol uh, if, since his early 20s and uh, practically he never got cured of this alcohol dependence. But let's go to work and see um, a little bit about the main topic of uh, today's presentation, alcohol. What is this alcohol? Well, alcohol has a remarkably simple molecule. It's um, uh, what we refer to alcohol, uh, uh, chemically it's, it's called ethanol, and uh, it's a very small molecule composed of uh, uh, two atoms of carbon, a hydroxy group, that means this, uh, uh, this group containing one oxygen, one hydrogen atom, and then another five hydrogen atoms kind of sprinkled around the molecule. So it's surprisingly simple for uh, the vast effects that it has on the body. But let's uh, start with the beginning. Uh, let's say that you took that glass of wine. What is going to happen next? 20% of it is going to be absorbed through the stomach. 80% of the alcohol that you just ingested is going to be absorbed through the small intestine, the beginning of the small intestine. By the way, it happens to be also the place where the vitamin B or the vitamins from the B complex are absorbed and uh, uh, since uh, it's the same area, alcohol can impair the absorption of vitamin B with a lot of consequences down the road. So, once it's in your system, it, uh, that means it goes into the bloodstream and uh, through the bloodstream it goes all through the body, including the brain, and we will speak in more detail what it does to the brain, and uh, uh, ultimately it has to be uh, detoxed from the body. 5% of it is uh, eliminated by the lungs, and 5% is eliminated by the kidney in its original form. But the bulk of it, 90%, is eliminated by the, uh, by the liver. Uh, in uh, two steps mostly. First, there is an alcohol dehydrogenase that uh, destroys the molecule of alcohol and uh, downgrades it to acetaldehyde, which is a component that is uh, not very good for the body. It has a lot of toxic effects, and uh, we will see what they, those are. And then another step where an uh, acetaldehyde dehydrogenase uh, deteriorates the compound uh, again to acetic acid. Acetic acid or vinegar, it's uh, of course a component uh, much less problematic for the body and uh, uh, much easier to get rid of. So um, what are the effects between the moment when it is absorbed and until the moment when it's uh, uh, kicked out of the body? What is happening with it? So let's start with what is happening on the brain. Now on the brain, it acts on, the, uh, uh, on an area called the ventral tegmental area nucleus accumbens. So this is the pleasure center of the brain. Uh, the center has an evolutionary purpose. It will encourage the individual to do things that are good for, uh, uh, for, the, uh, for the person and the species. Uh, like uh, eating, um, procreating, and uh, getting positive regards from uh, other human beings and so on. But anyway, it acts on that center. It, to be very specific, uh, this alcohol, it takes the brakes off, the brakes off the ventral tegmental area. What does it mean? The ventral tegmental area is a group of neurons that uh, sends its impulses to the nucleus accumbens. The ventral tegmental area is in the midbrain, that means this area between the cortex and the brainstem, and the nucleus accumbens is uh, somewhere in the orbitofrontal 
lobe, on the medial aspect of the orbitofrontal lobe. But the location is less important. Just remember that there is this, uh, um, this uh, reward system of the brain that is composed of this uh, dual structure, ventral tegmentary area on one side and the nucleus accumbens on the other. Now, this ventral tegmental area uh, is also innervated by some uh, neurons that are powered by a uh, neuromediator called GABA, gamma-amyrobutyric acid. These neurons are the brakes of the VTA. The alcohol inhibits the brakes. That means the alcohol will, uh, will have a um, uh, negative impact on the GABA neurons, which inhibit the ventral tegmental area. So when you drink alcohol, you take the brakes off the brakes of the ventral tegmental area. Therefore, the ventral tegmental area starts lighting up with electricity and it triggers an enjoyable, pleasurable response. So that's the essence. That's where uh, the dependence uh, has its origin. And every addictive substance um, somehow ends up um, stimulating this, uh, this pair of, uh, of uh, nuclei, the ventral tegmental area and nucleus accumbens. So, uh, let's see, uh, what is the acute effect of the alcohol? Well, it depends very much on the levels, on the blood levels, but to get to the blood levels, let's see some, um, uh, some, uh, some ways to quantify the uh, intake of alcohol. Well, the standard unit of uh, alcohol intake is the drink, so-called a drink, the, the mythical drink. A drink is either one beer of 12 ounces, uh, 12 ounces, uh, which uh, contains uh, 10 to uh, 14 grams of alcohol, or a glass of wine, four ounces of wine, which contains the same amount of alcohol, like the one 12 ounce beer, and uh, also uh, one uh, shot of uh, liquor, uh, the shot being uh, 1 to 1 1.5 ounces. And, uh, of course, the content is the same, one, 10 to 14 grams of alcohol. So uh, the drink is the unit uh, of uh, administration of alcohol. And when I say a drink, it can be anything. It can be either 12 ounces of beer, 4 ounces of wine, or 1 ounce of liquor. When you drink one ounce of uh, liquor or one drink, let's say, your blood alcohol level goes up by 0.02. Now, when I say 0.02, I mean 0.02 grams per one deciliter. Or uh, in other places, you will see expressed as uh, uh, milligrams per deciliter or milligrams per 100 cc. And uh, in that case, when I say 0.02, uh, grams per deciliter, I also mean 20 milligrams per 100 cc of blood. So that's the concentration of the alcohol. So I will use only this uh, gram per deciliter expression, so, uh, um, uh, expression just to keep things simple. So uh, you took a drink and your blood level goes up to 0 0.02. Between 0 0.02 and 0.03, there is this um, kind of pleasant effect of alcohol, the euphoria, euphoria, uh, this uh, euphoria, but also um, you start already seeing the psychomotor retardation that alcohol typically causes. And what does it mean? Um, you slow down, you slow down with your, the speed of thinking, you slow down with your speech, and um, uh, you slow down with the reaction time. 
between uh, now it, above that is uh, uh, an important level 0 0.08 0 0.08 is considered in the United States the uh, legal definition of intoxication of alcohol. Now, uh, this does not mean that you are okay drinking with 0 0.08 um, concentration of alcohol in your blood, uh, because this depends on the state. Some states have zero level of alcohol in, uh, uh, as a limit. Other Others have 0 0.08. You have to be cautious about that. Now, um, let's say that uh, you are drinking and drinking and drinking, your blood level starts going up and up between 0 0.1 and 0 0.2. What you will see is an um, increasing uh, affection um, or an increasing effect on the frontal lobe. And what does that mean? Your abstract thinking is impaired, uh, the uh, limbic system is now disinhibited. And what does that mean? Your emotions are more intense, they are more easy to trigger, you get easier angry, you get easier excessively happy, and you start laughing without reason, and uh, you uh, are increasingly impaired in your ability to speak, your uh, speech is slurred, uh, and of course everything is kind of slowing down. Between 0 0.2 and 0 0.3, uh, the uh, impairment in alertness is uh, very pronounced and uh, you may even fall asleep. Above 0 0.3, uh, the uh, inhibition of the brain starts going into the uh, mid-cortex or into the mid-brain and into the brainstem and this is where the trouble starts. There, uh, in this area of mid-brain and the brainstem, there are the centers who um, uh, regulate the automatic activity like breathing and if uh, those areas of the brain are inhibited then you are going to uh, stop breathing. Uh, you are going to fall into a coma and eventually if you are uh, very unlucky you are going to stop breathing and die. So um, uh, alcohol uh, is a dangerous substance. In fact um, the lethal dose is only 10 to 11 times higher than the intoxicating dose. What does that mean? If you need two to three beers to feel intoxicated, then 11 to, uh, 11 to 14 beers taken all at once uh, can actually uh, put you into a coma and maybe even uh, cause you to stop breathing. Now, um, what uh, will happen in uh, long term? This is the acute effect. In long term, you will see first a tolerance developing. What does that mean? you are going to be more resistant to the effects of alcohol, you are going to metabolize the alcohol a little faster, but especially the brain becomes more resistant to the euphoric effects, the pleasant effects of the alcohol, and also uh, to, the, uh, uh, to the negative inhibiting effects of the alcohol. That means you are going to, uh, you're not going to fall asleep so easily uh, under the influence of alcohol, you're also going to develop a tolerance to uh, uh, these levels where coma usually uh, starts. Um, and uh, uh, you are going to uh, need increasingly bigger amounts of alcohol to uh, feel uh, that um, you had enough in, uh, overall. Aside from that, uh, you will uh, develop withdrawal. What does it mean? If you drink repeatedly and then you stop abruptly, you are going to develop a set of symptoms that we call withdrawal. And what are those symptoms? Uh, sweating, shakiness, tremors, um, the blood pressure or pulse go up, you become, to, you become very irritable or anxious, uh, sleep is going to be very difficult or impossible. 
Uh, and if you are uh, uh, unlucky, you will get into a state called uh, delirium or withdrawal delirium or delirium tremens. You're going to start hallucinating and you are going to start uh, talking completely nonsense. And this is a severe uh, medical emergency that must be treated in a medical setting. Another manifestation of withdrawal, equally, uh, equally dangerous, is uh, seizures, withdrawal seizures. They can happen anytime uh, between uh, 12 hours to 3 days after the interruption of the alcohol are extremely dangerous, uh, not in themselves, but because they uh, result in falls, uh, complete loss of consciousness, maybe aspiration if you throw up while you have a seizure. So uh, it's uh, another serious manifestation of uh, the chronic consequences of alcohol intake. What are the psychiatric or psychological consequences of uh, alcohol? Of course, we have to start with alcohol dependence, alcohol dependence. What does that mean, alcohol dependence? Well, uh, alcohol addiction or uh, alcoholism, uh, these are terms that are so vague that um, I am not quite sure how to define them, but uh, I know very well what does the dsm for. Uh, that means the Diagnostic, Diagnostic Statistical Manual, 4th uh, edition, says about uh, the uh, alcohol dependence. In order to meet the criteria for alcohol dependence, first, uh, you um, uh, have to understand that you, do, you are not tied by any, uh, by any quantities. The dependence, the presence of dependence is not defined by the quantity of alcohol that you are drinking. Uh, it's defined in, uh, as follows. You take a 12-month period where you want to judge whether the symptoms are present or not. And now you ask yourself, within these 12 months, are there three or more out of a list of seven criteria met? The first two are easy to understand. One is tolerance, that means needing increasingly higher amounts of alcohol to get the same result, the same intoxication or the same effect. Withdrawal is uh, this, the syndrome that starts once you abruptly discontinue the alcohol use. Now, there is a, a cluster of symptoms that I call time shift. Time shift. What does it mean? It means that uh, you spend increasingly amount of time in uh, activities related to getting the alcohol, being intoxicated with the alcohol, or withdrawing from the alcohol. And uh, another aspect is uh, shifting the time from uh, activities related to alcohol and uh, getting into or crowding out activities that you uh, would have normally done, like uh, work or uh, relating to your family or other social activities or uh, uh, just leisurely activities. They are just kind of crowded out by the involvement with the alcohol. Then there is uh, um, a, uh, a sub-syndrome of loss of control that contains three manifestations. One of them is taking the alcohol in quantities higher than initially intended or for longer amount of time than initially intended. So you see this pattern of increasing the, uh, the use of alcohol over time. Then you have a, um, a tendency to uh, uh, be unable to stop uh, that means you take the decision to stop, but it never happens. You have repeated failed attempts to stop uh, taking, uh, taking alcohol. And finally, the last uh, symptom is uh, this uh, tendency to, uh, uh, to be aware, of, to be fully aware of the consequences, the negative consequences of alcohol, but still not being able to stop the use of alcohol. So any three out of this set of seven, Clustering within the 12 months period would constitute a uh, diagnosis of alcohol dependence uh, in the definition of the DSM-IV, the 
official listing of uh, all the diagnoses in psychiatry. I am going to speak now about uh, this phenomenon of uh, relapse. It's uh, connected with the uh, issue of uh, dependence. Now, a relapse means a resumption of the intake of alcohol uh, in the context of uh, uh, a um, uh, period of time when uh, there was no intake of alcohol. So, uh, after a certain period of abstinence, then uh, you have this phenomenon of uh, increased cravings and eventually relapse. The, crave, the cravings are in fact a uh, anticipatory stimulation, but very uh, very light stimulation of the system uh, uh, ventral tegmentary area nucleus accumbens, uh, which um, uh, anticipates the bigger reward of actually drinking. Uh, this phenomenon of uh, cravings, of craving, um, this minor stimulation of the VTA nucleus accumbens uh, uh, system, uh, is caused either by cues, uh, just situations that re resemble to situations in which uh, alcohol intake might happen, or is caused by stress. And uh, here there is uh, a relationship with the um, corticotropin releasing factor, the CRF. It's uh, pretty much the initiator of a cascade of events that. Uh, uh, constitute the response to stress of the organism. So, cues is one, stress is another one, and finally is the phenomenon of priming. What does it mean, priming? Priming means the stimulation, but again, a very modest, a very uh, discrete stimulation of the ventral tegmental area nucleus accumbens system by any substance. Um, it is very well known that uh, uh, using any other addictive substance like marijuana or even cigarettes or opioids will uh, trigger a uh, craving for alcohol and very often will trigger a relapse of the alcohol. We talked about dependence um, and uh, somewhat uh, about intoxication, but let's see what else does uh, the alcohol do to the brain. Uh, the DSM-IV lists um, all the problems, that go, all the issues that can uh, happen when you drink alcohol and uh, uh, I can tell you that uh, alcohol has a longer list than any other addictive substance and what could that be? First, besides uh, alcohol abuse, alcohol dependence, you can have an alcohol withdrawal plus, plus an alcohol withdrawal delirium which is another entity, and we spoke about delirium tremens. Then you have an uh, alcohol uh, intoxication delirium, and that means the same, uh, the same cluster of symptoms happening while you are uh, highly intoxicated with alcohol. Then um, there is another syndrome called uh, alcohol-induced persistent dementia, which is uh, the same like uh, senile dementia, that means an impairment in memory, but also in uh, psychomotor skills. Then you have uh, alcohol-induced persisting uh, amnestic syndrome when just the memory is impaired and nothing else. Uh, in, it used to be called uh, Wernicke-Korsakoff syndrome uh, and uh, it was mostly caused by the deficiency of vitamin B and uh, mostly reversible by administering vitamin B. Uh, but for uh, uh, many months uh, is not something that is going to go away uh, in the short term. 
then you have a um, alcohol-induced psychotic disorder, which again looks like schizophrenia, which I guess is the prototypical psychotic disorder, alcohol-induced anxiety disorder, alcohol-induced mood disorder, alcohol-induced sexual disorder, and alcohol-induced sleep disorder. So you see, it's kind of a long list of problems that can go wrong. All of them have in common the fact that um, they are, although they resemble as the real deal, as a real symptom, they are in fact um, uh, temporary, uh, temporary disturbances that uh, should clear within a few weeks. Um, let's say the standard is four weeks, they should uh, pretty much clear and uh, they do not need, a, uh, uh, in most of the cases, at least uh, the medication uh, to make them go away or a persistent treatment to go away. What does it do to the rest of the body? We saw, we saw what does it do to the brain, but now it's poisonous for the rest of the body and it can affect the body up to the moment when you ingest it and all the way down into the, into the gastrointestinal tract. Uh, it can increase the cancers of anywhere between the mouth, the esophagus, the, uh, the stomach, the intestines. It can increase the risk of breast cancer, of course, in women. Uh, it um, uh, it uh, affects in a very negative way the pancreas. Uh, Alcohol-induced pancreatitis is uh, acute pancreatitis is uh, a very common problem. And finally, the liver. Now, the liver um, has different stages of being affected by alcohol. In the beginning, it's just a, uh, a hepatitis or a um, steatosis of the liver. That means infiltration of the liver with uh, fatty tissue. Uh, which kind of choke the um, uh, the cells of the liver and impairs their activity, uh, and that can progress even further into a cirrhosis. That means a, um, a, a scar tissue replacing the normal cells of the liver, and uh, this is usually a process that is irreversible. It uh, ends up uh, uh, in um, the need of liver transplant and uh, death if that does not happen. Now, what is the magnitude of this phenomenon? Well, this um, uh, alcohol uh, uh, alcohol issue is um, uh, one of the biggest plagues of the century. On it's uh, something that uh, is responsible for uh, uh, the majority of the substance-related deaths in the United States. Uh, it uh, causes enormous economic uh, loss in the uh, United States economy. Uh, because it affects a lot of people and uh, it's uh, legal. It's uh, legal to be consumed by anybody above 21 years of age. Um, but let's see, who are those people? First of all, 90% of the US population is exposed to the alcohol. So only 10% can say that they go through life without uh, ever uh, drinking alcohol. But out of this uh, vast number of 90%, only 20% develop what we call alcohol dependent, uh, sorry, alcohol abuse. Now, alcohol abuse is an entity that is different than alcohol dependence. It's like uh, uh, the, the premonitory sign of uh, much worse things to come. Alcohol dependence is everything that does not, is problematic in terms of consumption, does uh, lead to repercussions in people's lives, but does not meet the criteria for full-blown alcohol dependence. So alcohol abuse has a, um, 
uh, a prevalence of uh, 20% in the population and then uh, the alcohol dependence itself is 6%. So you see 90% use alcohol uh, at a certain point in their lives, only 6% actually de become dependent. Let's see who these people are, who are the people at risk, who is uh, eventually trapped into this uh, alcohol dependence. Well, um, if uh, there are genetic, definitely genetic factors and uh, uh, cultural factors involved and, uh, in, and also personal factors, but let's see first the genetic factors. Uh, alcohol is, uh, uh, is regarded as uh, an issue of willpower by many. Uh, it's uh, something that uh, you should uh, choose uh, not to do. But the truth is that the evidence for a genetic component for uh, alcohol dependence is pretty strong. For example, if you have one parent who is suffering, who is diagnosed with alcohol dependence, your chances of becoming dependent at a certain point in your life are four times higher than average population. And even more interesting, let's say that uh, you are taken away from that environment. Uh, we, uh, we take away uh, this uh, situation where you might say, well, it must be the example that the parents are setting for their children. No, if you take a child of an alcoholic out of that family and put it at birth in another family with no alcohol problems, his or her risk is still going to be 4%. See, that's quite a convincing, quite a convincing argument that uh, alcohol dependence has a strong genetic component, a strong genetic vulnerability that is going to be there no matter what the environment is. Of course, the environment can make it worse or can make it a little better, but overall, uh, not, uh, not much influence on, on this uh, vulnerability. Another evidence is the fact that uh, if you have a twin, an identical twin brother who suffers already of alcohol, your chances of uh, getting the same problem is much higher than if you would have an identical fraternal, sorry, not an identical, but a fraternal twin. If we go even further and uh, ask ourselves what is uh, in the genes that uh, can determine if one has a vulnerability or not, well, some genes uh, encode the um, uh, enzyme, that means uh, dictate how an enzyme acetaldehyde dehydrogenase is going to function, what, uh, what type of uh, enzyme you, a certain individual will possess. It turns out that uh, there are two types, one of them, uh, two types of genes, one type that gives you a strong acetaldehyde dehydrogenase that will um, metabolize fast the acetaldehyde into acetic acid and another type of gene that will encode a weaker enzyme that will be a little sluggish in metabolizing the acetaldehyde. Now let's see what are the repercussions. Well the people who have a good enzyme that means they will get rid of this acetaldehyde which I mentioned before is a uh, one step down from alcohol and it's a very toxic substance for the body with unpleasant effects. Uh, if you get rid of it, you are not going to have the negative effects of having acetaldehyde in your system, but if you have the uh, less effective acetaldehyde in your system, then you are going to be exposed to higher dosages of acetaldehyde every time when you drink. Therefore, you are not going to be so uh, anxious, so eager to drink, because uh, drinking will just make you sick. Therefore, you, you will see a certain protective effect uh, if you are of uh, that uh, genotype, and uh, this genotype is characteristic for the Asian population mostly. Now, um, there are uh, some associations between mental illness and uh, alcohol. If uh, you are um, 
predisposed, or you have a genetic vulnerability to develop either bipolar illness or schizophrenia or antisocial personality disorder, because all of these are uh, partially genetically determined, then you are going to have also a vulnerability to develop uh, alcohol dependence. So uh, these seem to be connected. The risk of these three illnesses uh, come uh, hand in hand with the risk of alcohol. A particular problem is this association between antisocial personality disorder and uh, alcoholism. But uh, a subtype of uh, antisocial personality with a lot of impulsivity seems to be at, at uh, the, the highest risk for alcohol dependence. There is something also interesting, interesting about um, uh, this, um, uh, uh, this association between uh, how the body metabolizes the alcohol and your likelihood of developing the illness called uh, alcohol dependence. Uh, there have been uh, very uh, good studies made showing that uh, resistance to alcohol uh, will predict very accurately your uh, uh, future dependence on alcohol. That means if you seem to have a, uh, a little reaction to alcohol, as a, uh, uh, that means alcohol does not touch you that much uh, when you are an adolescent and you try it, well, guess what? You are more at risk to become uh, dependent on alcohol. Uh, the mechanism, the exact mechanism is not quite sure. Maybe if you are resistant to alcohol, you are going to underestimate its power and you are going to drink more than usual. So uh, before you are going to get completely uh, sick and tired of uh, this whole presentation, let me get to the treatment. So finally, we are going to speak about what can be done. We talked about uh, all these things about what can, uh, can go wrong when you drink, but now what can you do to escape this, uh, this uh, um, problematic path in life? Now, the treatment, uh, I would divide it into immediate and uh, chronic. That means uh, what can be done uh, once, you, uh, once you are already stuck into dependence uh, up to the neck and you want to get out of it. Oh, uh, and then what can you do to make sure that you do not fall back into the same uh, mistake? Now, uh, in the acute uh, phase of the treatment, what, uh, uh, what you need is probably a detox. The detox, uh, it's um, some, very often uh, really not a big deal. That means for someone who is uh, young, who is uh, healthy, uh, who is well nourished, doesn't have any uh, coexisting medical problems, uh, that should not be an issue. It's going to uh, peak within two to three days and um, uh, after that it will last for another week or so and then it's completely gone. But in those people who are coming off massive amounts of alcohol or those people who are uh, medically frail or who are uh, elderly, then uh, you may need a medical detox. And what does it mean, medical detox? You uh, are going to go into an inpatient unit where you are going to be given a benzodiazepine, usually either chlorodiazepoxide or Librium or diazepam, the brand name Valium, uh, or even uh, just Ativan, Lorazepam. It's much less used because it's a shorter-acting benzodiazepine. Uh, so mostly uh, we like to use the long-acting benzodiazepines. Let's say that you start with 30-45 milligrams of Librium in the first day and then you go down by 20% every day. The whole detox should last anywhere between 5-7 to seven days and uh, you are going to go over this period in a much uh, kind of smoother way. Uh, of course, um, uh, people are very concerned when it comes to alcohol withdrawal because of the... Uh, 
withdrawal delirium or delirium tremens or uh, this risk of seizures that can uh, happen pretty much to anybody anytime. There is nothing that can uh, reassure a physician that uh, you are going to be okay during the withdrawal. Age doesn't count, uh, predisposition doesn't count. There are some issues that can uh, make a physician even more worried about withdrawal seizures, for example, a pre-existing pre seizure disorder. Now, uh, it's not necessarily that you use benzodiazepines. Uh, nowadays, you can use also uh, anti-seizure medication like uh, Neurontin or uh, Depakote, or even uh, no anti-seizure medication, but um, uh, a uh, alpha-adrenolytic substance like uh, Clonidine or uh, even a beta-blocker like Inderal. Now, what they do, they do protect you from the um, negative effects of the withdrawal on the heart, uh, it tones down the heart, it, uh, it decreases the blood pressure, but it will not protect you from a seizure disorder. So these um, adrenolytic uh, substances will, will not prevent the seizure from happening. Um, but let's say that uh, detox is not an issue. You go to go straight, you want to go straight to the uh, chronic treatment. Now there are uh, several options and I list them in order of the demand that uh, is imposed on the individual, but also on uh, in the order of uh, success. Um, although the difference in uh, in uh, success, meaning achieving abstinence between these three, uh, these uh, four formats that I'm going to list is not that prominent. So number one is uh, Alcoholic Anonymous. This is a self-help group that you go there only when you want to, when you choose to. Nobody keeps track of that. It's a personal effort. You can, um, you can uh, practically decide how much time you want to invest into this activity. Then there is the Outpatient Substance Abuse Program, which is a more regimented program, uh, more uh, structured and, of course, run by professionals, so-called, uh, people who have a certification in uh, drug and alcohol counseling. Then we have, uh, you have the 28-day inpatient rehab. If the situation is so bad that you couldn't resist taking alcohol unless you are completely disconnected from your usual environment, you go into an inpatient 28-day program. And finally, there is the treatment community. Treatment community um, is a place where you live for six months, for 12 months, and you try to completely disconnect yourself from uh, a previous lifestyle that brought this uh, uh, this predicament in the first place. Uh, when you are going to enter these programs, um, you are going to do it uh, in a voluntary manner. Most of the people go in a voluntary manner. There is also evidence that being forced by the legal system into these programs uh, can have uh, pretty similar success rates. Uh, but uh, this whole process may start with the need of an intervention. Now, you, many of you are familiar with this uh, notion of intervention and what does that mean? means a uh, meeting with all interested parties, that means family, friends, where the person, the patient who suffers of this problem uh, is forced to see the reality of the addiction. Now, when I am saying forced, it does not mean necessary, necessarily confrontation, but um, uh, it, it's, just a, uh, in, it's just a moment when the cards are pretty much laid on the table uh, and uh, uh, the um, uh, imperative of uh, treatment is uh, put in front of the patient. Uh, you uh, have to understand one thing, that uh, a patient will move into treatment uh, only when there is uh, enough incentive, when there is the energy and the motivation to do it. And an attitude of the people around the patient called codependence may prevent that point to be reached. 
codependence. Uh, it means this tendency of the um, uh, relatives or friends of a patient to protect that person from the negative effects of the alcohol, therefore prolonging that point where the patient will, will have the incentive to uh, move towards uh, treatment. Um, Treatment uh, in general means uh, has two components, one of them in uh, clarifying, that means an educational component, clarifying the effects of the alcohol on the body in physical terms and the psychological terms, but also in social terms, the effects, the, uh, the repercussions of using alcohol in people's lives. And another component which is uh, concerned with relapse prevention, that means uh, all this set of measures that a person must take in order to prevent uh, falling into the same mistake again and again. So now let's look at the medication treatment of uh, the alcohol. Uh, nowadays there are uh, three main uh, medications that uh, are recommended in situations like this and I'm going to start with the oldest, but I'm not going to spend too much time on it. This is the antabuse. The antabuse of or disulfiram, disulfiram is a uh, blocker of the enzyme acetaldehyde dehydrogenase. And uh, what it means is that uh, uh, once the alcohol is metabolized into acetaldehyde, uh, you are going to be stuck with it in the system. Stuck with it in the system means that you are going to have a, a terrible headache and uh, feel some flushing and nausea and uh, it's kind of an aversive therapy. Uh, if you drink, you are going to be very sick. Now, in principle, that should be a very interesting proposition, a very interesting strategy, but the fact is that people who want to drink, they just plainly stop the antabuse in a, in a day. They are ready to uh, take alcohol without this effect. So, in practice, uh, it turns out that it's not that effective uh, as a method. The other one is naltrexone. Naltrexone or Revia. Uh, this is a dopamine blocker. and um, uh, Sorry, it's an opioid blocker. And what does that mean? Uh, it uh, blocks the enjoyable effects of the alcohol. It blocks the um, capacity of the alcohol to uh, stimulate the system, ventral tegmental area nucleus accumbens, therefore uh, diminishing the pleasure that one gets out of alcohol. The um, uh, evidence that naltrexone helps in, uh, uh, in uh, decreasing the alcohol intake is uh, pretty strong, but is not very, uh, 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 very big. Uh, it's uh, pretty strong in the sense that it's clinically significant. It is there, but um, um, I would say that it increases your chances of uh, staying absent by a, um, a rather modest 15 to 20%. Then we have uh, the medication called uh, Acamprosate or Campral. Uh, this one is a uh, blocker of the NMDA receptors which are found on the nucleus accumbens. Uh, it's a little bit um, uh, kind of a, uh, another mechanism or, of preventing the ventral tegmental area nucleus accumbens uh, reacting to the presence of alcohol. Again, the same night naltrexone decreasing the uh, enjoyable decreasing the enjoyable effects of the alcohol. This, I hope, it serves as a primer uh, to uh, have some tools uh, to deal with the alcohol in case uh, it's a problem that affects you or uh, anybody else that you know.